Well, this morning, uh, I'd like to open the Word of God with you to the book of Genesis, chapter 22. Uh, the book of Genesis happens to be my favorite book in the Bible. And uh, Genesis 22 is a climax chapter of uh, a story where God is at work in the life of Abraham and Isaac. And to really understand Genesis 22, you actually have to go back all the way to the beginning of Genesis because there's a really important context and a story that is developing that leads up to chapter 22. So I want to start back at the beginning, kind of bring you up to speed of what has been happening as we get to that chapter. But before we begin, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to look at principles for life, for how we can trust you more. Lord, Abraham's faith and trust in you is an example for us to follow in life today. I pray as we look at his incredible faith that it would inspire us and be an example to us to follow in our own personal lives. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you know, uh, back in Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all things in six days. And most importantly, he created man perfect without sin. In fact, there was no sin anywhere in the world when God created uh, everything. Well, it didn't take long after that in Genesis chapter 3 where everything starts to fall apart, right? We have uh, Adam and Eve uh, choosing to follow their own desires rather than the plan of God. They choose to sin. They fall to the temptation of Satan, and everything begins to fall apart. Uh, and God goes into the garden and, and talks with them and announces uh, curses on uh, the world because of what they had done. But with the realization that the world was changing, that everything was about to change, God gives a very, very important promise. In Genesis 3.15, we have what's called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel message where God promises to Adam and Eve that despite their sin, that through them, Someday, a seed would come, their offspring would come, to bring restoration to the broken relationship that they now had with God. And that kind of sets the stage because, you know, with, with the world changing and death now entering the world, there was a glimmer of hope. And that hope was going to come in the form of a person that would come through them. And so as you track the story in Genesis, there's a lot of excitement that builds about who is this one who is going to come? And through whose descendants would this child be born? Well, as we go on in the story, we find in Genesis chapter 12 that God enters and he talks directly to Abram and makes him a promise. Let me read for you Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed." This is an unconditional covenant that God is making with Abram, meaning that Abram did not have to do anything in order for God 
to fulfill his part of the promise. God said he was going to do these things. And there were three components to this promise here. First, it was land, then it was seed, and blessing. Israel has a land that is promised by God that will be their forever land. There is a seed that would come through Abraham, and it would be seeds that would be, as we find out later in Genesis, as the multitude is of the sand on the seashore, or as the stars are in the sky. There would be many, many descendants, but through one particular seed, the entire world would be blessed. And we're going to see that seed develop as we follow the story of Abram and his descendants, ultimately knowing that that seed would turn into one day Jesus Christ who would come to restore the broken relationship between God and man. So in this promise in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, it's important to also note that when God appears to Abram and tells him to get out of his land to the place where he's going to show him, Abram is 75 years old at that time. Well, as we move forward in Genesis leading up to 22, uh, let's pick up the story again in in chapter 15. In chapter 15, you see Abram having some concerns. And it's sort of an interesting dynamic because in chapter 14, Abram just had this great victory. He had just gone with his trained servants to rescue Lot, who had been taken captive during a war. And he also had this interesting uh, interaction with the the, uh, priest of God, the Most High, Melchizedek, king of Salem. Very interesting uh, dynamic there. We don't have time to go into that. But when you get to chapter 15, you would think that Abram would be on this kind of spiritual high, just having that encounter, and had just secured a military victory rescuing Lot. But in chapter 15, that's not what we actually find. What we find is Abraham is concerned. And we find that, that his concern is actually in the fact that 24 years have gone by. Abraham is 99 years old, and yet this promise of a seed and blessing have not happened in his life. You know, 24 years is a long time. I don't know how long you've waited on things for God to work or for prayers to be answered, but after 24 years, you're starting to wonder, did I misunderstand God's promise? Did I really understand what he was saying to me at that time? And you start to wonder. So Abram's starting to have that same concern. And uh, let me read for you what he says in Genesis chapter 15, uh, verses 1 to 6. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So we have reassurance from God to Abram 
that he's not forgotten him, but he actually expands the promise here to show him that not only are you going to have seed, but they're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Super, super exciting for Abram to have that reassurance, having now become 99 years old and he's still waiting on God. Let's keep moving forward in Genesis as we get to chapter 17. Once again, God is going to be speaking to Abram. And let's read what it says in in chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. It says this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Once again, God is reassuring Abram that his descendants are going to be exceedingly numerous. Not just as the stars of the sky, but exceedingly numerous. Very, very exciting for Abram to hear that reassurance. And then also in verse 5 of chapter 17, it says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of nations. God is continuing to prepare Abraham now for what he has in store for him. He is going to keep his promises to him. It's just a matter of time. Well, in chapter 18, the time comes. God is going to announce that Abraham and Sarah, you have waited long enough. Now the time comes where you are going to be having a child that comes from them, not someone in their house born of another person, but from Abraham and Sarah. So in chapter 18, verses 10 and 11, it says, And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Wow, God is making a promise to them and an announcement that Sarah is going to have a child, but wait a minute. Abraham, he's 99. Sarah is 90. This seems to be impossible. How could they at their age, and, and the Bible actually says they were well advanced in age, beyond the age of childbearing. How could God do this seemingly impossible thing? Well, thankfully, God is our God of the impossible, and Abraham and Sarah are about to see a miraculous event happen in their life. In fact, when you think about God's plan of salvation and how he's going to be bringing the promised seed through Abraham and Sarah, we know that the whole, part of, the whole plan of God's salvation is a miracle. It's a miraculous event when God saves someone, so how could it be surprising to us that God would also work a miracle through the life of Abraham and Sarah, showing them that this child was not just an accident, was not just something that would happen naturally through the course of of two human beings coming together, but it would be supernaturally done by God. How exciting that is. Well, chapter 21 not only has the announcement of the birth 
happened, but here we see the actual birth of Isaac. Let me read for you a few verses from the beginning of Genesis chapter 21. It says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham was circumcised his son when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. It's happened. The promise that God had made back in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham that, 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 that there would be seed coming through him, 25 years have passed, and finally the beginning of that promise to be fulfilled has happened. And they are rejoicing, and they are so excited because they're seeing God work through them. They're seeing the power of God, the miracles of God be on display literally through their own bodies. As we think about that and the excitement that it must have been, because I am sure that Abraham knew the promise that God had made to Adam and Eve in the garden, that one day a seed would come, that that seed would, would crush the head of Satan, that it would bring restoration to the broken relationship between God and man, that Abraham and Sarah knew that through them God was going to keep that promise. And that excitement of, of seeing that happen and begin to happen through them, we get to chapter 22 of Genesis and we think, what in the world is God doing? Genesis 22 is a story that we, we scratch our head and say, how, how could this be? Or at least if you're in the place of Abraham and Sarah, you think, Lord, we've waited so long, and now you're going to ask us to take our son and offer him as a sacrifice? Lord, how? Lord, why? Can you imagine the confusion, maybe the frustration, maybe the anger, maybe the fear you put it in your own life. God sometimes puts us in a situation where we don't understand what to do, but God is at work, God has not forgotten, and He's asking us to trust Him. Well, let's read the story of Genesis 22, thinking about all that we just went through, all that leading up to what God has been doing in the life of Abraham and Sarah with the birth of Isaac and we don't know exactly how many years have passed between chapter 21 and 22. My guess is about 15 to 20 years. Clearly from the context of 22, we see that Isaac is a young man. But let's read the story. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw their place afar off. 
And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said to him, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. What a story. What a story of God doing things behind the scenes and Abraham taking major steps of faith, trusting in God. Well, let's kind of break this down a little bit. We'll try and go quickly through this. First, verses 1 to 3, I'd like to focus on this. First, Trust God even when you don't understand. We see in this text that God is testing Abraham. He's testing Abraham's faith, whether it's in God or it's in his promises or it's in something else. God is testing him to see where his faith is placed. But Abraham doesn't know that. God didn't enter the scene saying, Abraham, it's time for your exam. Let's go through this together. No, God just gave Abraham instructions, commands, as he had done previously to Abraham and expected immediate and willing obedience. Well, we see in this passage that that's exactly what Abraham did. There wasn't a questioning of God. There was an immediate obedience to God's commands. In fact, I think it's amazing that not only was it immediate, but it says that he, in verse 3, he rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Well, what do you think is the reason that Abraham rose early in the morning? My guess, now this is me just guessing here, my guess is that he didn't tell Sarah what was going on. You know, it says that God was testing Abram. Imagine being a mother and giving birth to your child at 90 years old, you've been waiting for this child your entire life, and your husband says, hey, honey, I'm going to take our son. God told me to go to the mountain over there and kill him. Have a nice day. I am sure that (laughs) that would not have gone over well with Sarah. So maybe, just maybe, Abram got up early in the morning before Sarah was awake, grabbed Isaac, grabbed his, his couple servants, and they headed off together because He didn't want Sarah asking questions. But regardless of all of that, 
the, the principle here is, is that God gave Abraham instructions, instructions that would seemingly blow your mind as to why God would ask him to do that, but rather than Abraham putting up a fight with God, he said, all right, let's go. Let's go tomorrow morning, and they did it. I think it's a great lesson to us that we should trust God ourselves even when we don't understand. Let's trust God and see how it plays out as we move forward in obedience. Well, secondly, in verses 2 and 9, I would say this. The principle is trust God even what you treasure belongs to God. Isaac, the long-awaited child, the loved one, the one they had waited many years for, the promised child, this is the one that God is going to be taking potentially away from them. But God loves them. God loves Isaac. Trust God, even what you treasure belongs to him. You know, there are some interesting similarities between Isaac and Jesus. In fact, if you uh, research this a little bit, there are between 20, 30, maybe even 40 clear similarities between Isaac and Jesus who would come. Uh, just a few quick ones is that Isaac was the only son of Abraham, Jesus, the only son of God. We see in this story that Isaac is carrying the wood for his sacrifice on the altar. What we see in the life of Christ as he goes to the cross, that he actually carries his own cross uh, to Calvary. Uh, we see that Isaac is willing and ready in this story to be sacrificed. You don't see him fighting his father. You see him wondering. You see him asking questions. Well, we also saw that in the life of Christ as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's, as he's agonizing the future crucifixion, says, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. A lot of parallels between these two uh, people in Scripture, and there are many, many, many more you can go into. But I think what's very, very interesting in this also is that, I mean, we already read the story. We know what happens is that in the life of Isaac, what God stopped Abraham from doing in killing his son on the altar, God himself did not do, did not stop from killing or having his son die on the cross for our sins. That's the biggest difference in the story, is that Jesus went to the cross and actually died in that, in that situation. Isaac was, you know, set free in the situation. So we can praise God that what he wouldn't let Abraham experience, that pain himself, he went through in offering Jesus as our sacrifice on the cross. So we trust God because even what we treasure ourselves belongs to God himself. Number three, in verse five, we see that trust God, he's able to keep his promises. Look what it says again in verse five. Let me read it for you because this is just amazing. It says, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey the lad, that's Isaac, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Now, why is that so significant? It's because in the beginning of the story, God told Abraham to go to Moriah, 
offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, when they get close to the mountain, and Abraham and Isaac are going to go, go to that place alone, Abraham turns to his servants and says, the lad and I, that's Isaac and I, are going to come back to you after we worship. Well, if Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, how could Isaac and him come back to them? Isaac would be dead. This shows great faith in Abraham. He had great faith in God, knowing that somehow, some way, even if I have to go through with killing my son on this altar, he's the promised one. He's the child that God said that our the, uh, that the blessings of the world, that the seed, the, the multiplication of all the descendants as the stars in the sky would come through, God must have a plan here. It's probably beyond what I can understand, but God has a plan. Do we trust God like that? You know, I can't imagine being in that situation, you know, to a point where I'm going to trust God's promises, even if it means a miracle has to happen for him to keep his promises. That's how great my trust is in God. Wow, what great faith. That should inspire us. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's a really interesting passage. You know, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, we call this passage the, the hall of faith. You know, that the heroes of the faith are listed in this chapter. Well, not surprisingly, Abraham is listed in this chapter as well, and the author of Hebrews gives us an insight into what is going on in the mind of Abraham at this exact moment. Moses doesn't tell us when he writes Genesis, but in this passage, we know. Let me read for you what it says, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. It says this, by faith, Abraham when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. (laughs) Abraham's faith in God was so great. His faith that that Abraham, that, that God had made promises to him concerning Isaac himself and no other concerning Isaac, he knew that even if he went through with this with the sacrifice, that even if he took the life of his son on that altar, that God had the ability to raise up Isaac literally from the dead. That's how sure he was of God's promises. That's how great his faith in, faith in God was. It's, it's an unbelievable reality. It's an unbelievable example for us to say, is my faith so great in God that it would take a miracle for God to perform on his promise? But yet, nevertheless, because God is God and he is the God of the miracles, he can perform on his promises. There's a painting uh, by the great uh, painter uh, Rembrandt of this particular situation. 
And in the painting, you see Isaac on the altar. He's bound. You see Abraham above him. The knife is in his hand. And what do we see? We see the hand of God, the angel of the Lord, who we know as a pre-incarnate Christ, the hand of God around the wrist of Abraham as he's about to come down on his child. That is a picture of the gospel where we were supposed to die in our sin, yet God intervenes and and spares us. He, He comes in at just the right moment and offers forgiveness to us and takes us off the altar. And what we see is in the verses coming up, the ram is there. Jehovah Jireh, the replacement of us on that altar is in the form of a ram, and he goes on that altar, and he is sacri- and the animal is sacrificed on behalf of Isaac, where Christ is sacrificed on behalf of us. And God is sovereign and in control of every moment of that situation. What a glorious story. What a glorious part of, of God intervening in human history that we get in Scripture. So, Faith in God, He's able to keep His promises. Well, next, trust God, He's able to meet your needs, as we see in verses 13 and 14 of Genesis chapter 22. Let me read for you those verses real quick. It says, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abram went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of Isaac. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. So God is able to meet your needs at the exact moment that Abraham needed a substitute. He needed a sacrifice because Isaac was not going to be sacrificed. God provided the ram that just happened to be nearby, caught in some trees and some thickets that he could use for the sacrifice. But look, it took obedience from Abraham to go all the way this far, leaving his home early in the morning, going on the journey, promising his servants that that him and Isaac would come back to him, going to the altar, climbing up the mountain, preparing the wood, being ready to sacrifice his son. Only at that moment could he see the provision of God to work a miracle in his life. It is an absolute miracle how God worked all of these circumstances. In fact, in verse 14 where it says, the name of the place the Lord will provide, that is the first time in Scripture that we see the name of God, Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh Jireh, the provider God. We, we learn more about the character of God in this story of that's the kind of God we served. At the moment of our greatest need, He's there as our provider. How exciting to trust God because He's able to meet our needs. Well, lastly, in wrapping up, one quick thing I want to share with you. First this, faith in God or trust in God, Abraham's righteousness is equivalent to our faith in Jesus. If you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, we'll go through this real quick. It's, an, it's, it's also going into another glimpse into what's going on in the mind of Abraham in his experience uh, of uh, this Genesis chapter 22 story. Let me read for you real quick a few verses from chapter 4, starting in verse 19. 
talking about Abraham, Paul writes, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it is not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. How exciting to see the gospel message in the life of Abraham and Isaac and now explained more clearly and fully through the message and books and writings of Paul. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that we declare to the nations, that we share to the world, that only through Christ can they have a a, a hope for this life and for eternity. It is my prayer that each one of you also have that same hope. If your faith and, and trust in God is shaky, look at the examples we have in Scripture. Look at Abraham as, as someone who's throughout Scripture exalted as someone who has had great faith. But you know what? Abraham was a human being just like we are. But he had great trust in God, and we can have that same trust as well. That's my prayer for all of you today, that you would leave here with a reinvigorated faith in God and trust in Him because of what He has done, His promises to you, and what He has promised to us for our future. So in recap, trust God even when you don't understand. Trust God even what you treasure belongs to Him. Trust God He is able to keep His promises. Trust God He is able to meet your needs. And trust God Abraham's righteousness is equivalent to our faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible story. But it's more than a story. It is truth. It is real history of how you interacted with Abraham, how you protected him, how you made promises to him, and how we see those promises fulfilled throughout Scripture, culminating in the life of Christ and his death on the cross, the promised seed of the woman to bring restoration to mankind in their relationship with you, which was broken because of sin. Lord, we thank you for that promise. We thank you for that reality. And I pray that each one of us has that assurance of our own salvation, that through faith in you, we can have a relationship with you, we can be reconciled to you, and we can be declared righteous in your sight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.